When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Katherine Schmidt, who is a licensed clinical psychologist with a private practice in San Francisco, California. She specializes in helping women improve their relationships, alleviate anxiety, and cultivate a balanced, fulfilling life. Within today's episode, we will be addressing postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, and intrusive thoughts. What is an intrusive thought? How common is it? How do I know when to seek help? And so much more. Let's dive right in. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Uh, Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. So today we are talking about something that I think is really, really important. And it is postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and intrusive thoughts. So I was thinking the first thing that I think would be really important to emphasize is how common this is in, you know, in this postpartum population. Absolutely. I think when we realize that we are not alone and that something that we're managing is really common, it can provide us with a lot of comfort. So that's the first thing. The first takeaway is that you are not alone and you have not done anything wrong if you're experiencing any complications or mental health challenges. One in five women experience either postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. They all fall under the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So one in five moms are going to experience this. So that just shows you how common this is, right? And I know we're going to be talking about intrusive thoughts today. Recent research has come out that half of moms experience intrusive thoughts while they're experiencing their motherhood journey. So this is just so important to be talking about. That is actually really incredible. I didn't know that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've never actually, you know, specifically sought any help for things like this, but I'm so interested to hear everything you have to say about intrusive thoughts because I'm pretty sure this has happened to me as well. And so, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what are intrusive thoughts? What would classify as an intrusive thought? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I mentioned, half of new moms are going to experience these, but oftentimes we don't identify them as intrusive thoughts or we don't know about this term. So we can feel self-conscious because we're having these thoughts. And and what they are is they're images or voices that come out of nowhere and they can be violent in nature. They can be things that we're afraid of, thoughts, images of hurting our baby, hurting ourselves, things that can happen. They can take a whole host of presentations, but the main thing is that they're persistent and that they come out of nowhere and they can feel really uncomfortable. And if you don't know that these are you know, a normal part of the experience, it can feel really jarring. And you can think, what is wrong with me? A lot of women internalize these thoughts and say, oh, 
something's wrong with me as a mother. And then it adds to these feelings of anxiety or depression. You know, what kind of mom would imagine something violent happening to their child, right? And then that can sort of start this spiral. But it's important to understand that these intrusive thoughts are common and they're just that. They're thoughts. They are not a reflection of who you are as a mother or as a woman. And it's really important to know that that you're not alone and that there's nothing wrong with you for having these thoughts. So I really liked how you said, you know, this is a normal part of the experience, really normalizing these thoughts. Do we know what causes these? Is it like a hormonal imbalance or Yeah, great question. I think that there's a few different things at play here. One is hormones. Obviously, there's a roller coaster that goes on when we bring baby home and, you know, postpartum, it even goes up to one year. So there's all these different hormones that are going through our bodies and that has an impact on obviously our thoughts and then our thoughts that also impact our mood and our feelings. So there's definitely hormones at play here. There's also other pieces. There's cultural factors, there's a background, there's you know, risk factors that can lead to other things. If you've had, you know, previous experiences where you've experienced trauma or you've experienced violence or you've experienced different pieces of your narrative that might lend themselves to feeling fear or anxiety, these things can play a part in the presentation of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Not necessarily the intrusive thoughts. Those are quite common even outside of any of the the you know PMADs that I mentioned earlier. But there's a, a few different factors that play into the intrusive thoughts, definitely. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this episode are going to say, oh my goodness, you know, like, I think this is <laughs> happening to me. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So what would be their first step if they're recognizing that this might be them? Yeah. So wh- I think one one important thing to stress is when we bring baby home, those first two or three weeks, they're called the baby blues, right? And we are in such a transition period emotionally, our relationship with our body, our hormones. We have this new person that we're taking care of. Uh, we're trying to figure out what's going on with our partner. There are financial challenges. And also, if we've had a traumatic birth experience or if there were complications that we were not anticipating, those first two or three weeks at home can feel so chaotic and it's totally normal to be crying for no reason, to feel irritable, to feel anxious, to feel fearful, to doubt who you are as a mom. This presentation is not considered a psychiatric disorder because so many women experience this. Up to 80% of women experience these baby blues, right? What we want to look for is what happens after those two or three weeks. Does that make sense? Are we slowly starting to find enjoyment in the relationship with the baby? Are we slowly starting to feel a little bit more comfort in our body? Is our appetite what it was before? Are we able to hydrate? And if we slowly start seeing changes back into a type of life that is certainly different because we have a baby, however, we're not feeling those baby blue symptoms anymore, that shows us that, okay, well, we're, we're functioning okay. What we want to be aware of is when we do not transition out of that baby blue stage. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so so I have a question about postpartum anxiety specifically because, you know, I had this same exact question, but a lot of people in my community were like, well, 
you know, how do I know that this just isn't, you know, part of my normal anxiety that I was having, you know, before baby was here or, or even before the pandemic was here. Yes. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. A lot yes. of us have just a lot of anxieties surrounding all of that. You know, how do we know when we need to seek help for postpartum anxiety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say I'm right here with you because I gave birth to my son in June and it was, I, yeah. So the, the pandemic hit right when I started my second trimester. So, so we were in it together. We were in it together. So I know this feeling of, whoa, what is, how am I going to handle this? What is normal? What is okay? And I do have a few exact things to look for, to, okay. to know if it, if you need extra help. So like I mentioned, I touched on earlier, we want to see if we are able to function in our life. And certainly with a baby, we are not going to be sleeping as much as we would like to or as we were before. But when we do get some rest, are we then able to not feel as anxious or fearful or worried as we were before, right? Are we able to feel a sense of joy or a sense of calmness even if it's fleeting, because we've got a million other things to do, are we able to feel that semblance of a little bit of who we were before? Or even when we're rested, even when we've got a little bit of food in us and water in us, are we still feeling that heightened anxiety? So trying to to distinguish, okay, is this because I'm not sleeping and I'm stressed out? Or is this uh, something that's bigger at play. And I just want to mention the symptoms. When we're talking about postpartum anxiety, the the main ones that we want to look for are constant worry and fear, racing thoughts, sleep disruptions. There can be physical symptoms such as dizziness or feeling nauseous. We really are are afraid and fearful of what's to come. And oftentimes it's centered around baby's health and well-being. I just wanted to clarify that because I think we we sometimes aren't quite sure what we're we want to have ideas of what we're experiencing, right? And what it, what is postpartum anxiety. So the other thing we want to look for when we have these thoughts with postpartum anxiety, when we have these intrusive thoughts, we want to look and see if they are dictating our actions. And I'm going to use an example, okay? If I'm having intrusive thoughts of the baby drowning in the bathtub, it's a horrifying thought. That's so scary to think about. But at the same time, I want to remind you, this is a normal thought. Because when anxiety comes in, anxiety biologically is trying to watch out for us. We don't want to banish anxiety. It is giving us information. Anxiety can excite us and motivate us. It keeps us safe. So we don't want to shut it down. What we want to do is speak to it and address it. So back to the example, if I'm imagining my baby drowning in the bathtub, I'm going to acknowledge that fear and go, oh my gosh, this is so scary, but this is just a thought. Mm -hmm. This doesn't dictate who I am as a mother, as a woman. And then I'm going to continue and give the baby a bath. What I want to watch out for is Do I no longer give the baby a bath because Mm -hmm. this thought is now dictating my actions? Mm -hmm. That's something to be really mindful of. If if you're having intrusive thoughts or fears that you're going to fall down the stairs, are you still going downstairs and just talking yourself through it? Mm -hmm. Or do you find that you are not going down or up the stairs, right? That's another really important thing to just be mindful of, right? And one other thing that I want to mention is these thoughts, these these intrusive thoughts where we we picture violence or or these scary things in nature, these things that cause us to feel afraid, 
These are called ego dystonic thoughts. And what that means, I'll break it down, not the the psychology term, but what it means is these thoughts are not in line with our beliefs, right? I do not want my baby to drown. I do not want them to feel any harm. What we want to look out for is when these thoughts are starting to feel like they are in line with our wants. Am I feeling relief or joy in thinking, oh, I won't have to deal with the baby if the baby drowns. And I know that sounds scary to even hear, right? But when we start having those thoughts and instead of going, oh, oh my God, that's so horrific. I don't, why is this thought even coming to my mind? I just want to banish this thought. When we start thinking, yeah, that, that would actually make life easier. That is something we want to be mindful of too. So I wanted to use that example for the moms listening because so often we can think, am I a bad mom? Are my kids going to be taken away from me if I express or talk to someone about these thoughts? That's not the case. We want to look out for, are your actions being changed based on these thoughts, right? Are these scary thoughts slowly becoming ones that make you feel relief because they're going to bring relief to the pain that you're feeling or the discomfort or fear? So those are a few of the the things that we want to watch out for when we're talking about uh, postpartum issues. That's so interesting. So are the stairs in general, like a very common intrusive thought? Because Mm -hmm. I have had that with all four of my babies. Yes, you, it it is very common because a lot of times intrusive thoughts have to do with things being out of our control. And when you are carrying this, this new baby that is defenseless and it's, you love them so much, what is scarier than something happening where you are literally not in control of keeping them safe in your arms. Yeah. That is a completely normal intrusive thought. And and it's one that I had myself. My my main intrusive thought that I had, we the place when I where we were living when I brought my son home, we had a patio. And all throughout my pregnancy I would read out there and I was so excited to bring the baby on on mm. the the little p- patio balcony and I I dreamed of it. And then when we brought him home, oh, yeah. I, every time I walked out there, I would have a fear or an image of seeing him go over the side of the patio. And this feels uncomfortable to say, but I really want to share this because I know moms listening are going, yep, uh, yes, that type of thought. Absolutely. And if me as a psychologist who knows the tools and, you know, has the support system, I just want to normalize that these thoughts do not discriminate. It is every age, socioeconomic status, background, you know, these sort of issues that we're talking about can really impact everyone. And and the example that I just mentioned, we're not only sort of mourning the fear that we have now of, well, what kind of mom am I if I'm thinking my baby's going to go over the railing or I'm going down the stairs and I'm so scared. We're also mourning that those thoughts or the dreams that we had, right? So I was hoping I'd be able to sit on the patio and be relaxed. Mm-hmm. So I really had to acknowledge, you know, my fear in the moment and also go, oh wow, this is this is a bummer. I had thought this would be different. And when we acknowledge those feelings as opposed to avoiding them or denying them, that's that's a, a really helpful step we can take to, to better managing our feelings as a mom. Mm-hmm. Now it sounds like all three of these almost work together is that like it's almost as if you know if you're having intrusive thoughts that you may also you know be suffering with ppa or 
PPD. Is that something that you typically see? Yeah. So, so just because you have intrusive thoughts, it does not necessarily mean that you have either postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. The intrusive thoughts can happen completely independent of getting a, a diagnosis or feeling other symptoms. That's one thing that I want to be really clear about. So moms can normalize that uh, because the fear can be, oh my gosh, what's what's next for me or what what else should I be looking for? Nope. Like I said, intrusive thoughts, half of new moms experience these. This is fairly common. So if you do experience those, I invite you to look at that and, and be curious about these feelings rather than judgmental or afraid right? Rather than saying, oh my gosh, what else does this mean? Or what does this say about me? Instead go, okay, I'm having some intrusive thoughts. I'm going to name them. I'm going to acknowledge them. And then I'm going to just keep my eye out for the, those things that I just mentioned. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to observe how I'm feeling, how I'm acting, what kind of thoughts I, I'm, I'm experiencing. And I'm going to move forward feeling confident that if something else comes up, I'm going to identify it. So, so we normalize what's going on and then we just remain curious and we, we keep it moving and, and feel confident that we'll be able to, to um, identify if something else is coming up. So I know you've kind of touched on this. Can, we, can you give us a step-by-step? So if I think I have intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. what is my step-by-step process? So if I'm standing at the top of the stairs, I'm holding my baby Mm-hmm. And I have this quick thought or this quick picture of falling down the stairs. Mm-hmm. What am I, can you walk us through what you would do at that, at that specific time? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if I'm at the stairs and I have that intrusive thought, it can be really tempting to avoid it or push it away, right? Oh my gosh, that's the scariest thing. And we might feel tempted, like I said earlier, to prevent going down the steps. What we want to do in that moment is name the emotion that we're feeling. So Dr. Dan Siegel, he's this really well-known psychiatrist, and he coined the term name it to tame it. And I'll explain what that means. When we name our emotional experience, it calms down the part of our brain that is the fight or flight. It's the amygdala. It's our emotional center. So when we name what's going on, we identify the experience, it calms down that part of our brain, and then we can have our executive functioning back, which is in charge of judgment and and making good decisions. So if I'm at the top of the stairs and I have that immediate thought of falling down the stairs, I'm going to welcome that thought. And I'm going to say to myself, either out loud or in my mind, wow, I just had that really scary thought again of falling down the stairs. I know this is normal. I know this is an intrusive thought. This is a a part, can be a part of my motherhood journey, right? Okay, I'm going to look around. I'm safe. Baby is safe. I've got the railing right here. I see my front door that I'm walking towards. I'm safe in this moment. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a second step. And then I'm going to keep moving forward. So do you see how we named it? We acknowledged the experience. We did check for safety, right? Because we do want to be safe. We don't want to be reckless. We want to be safe, and then we take a step forward. And by taking a step forward, once we've named what's going on, we've identified that we're safe, and then we keep moving forward. What we're doing is we're we're starting muscle memory in our brain that we can have these intrusive thoughts, we can acknowledge them, and yet they're not going to overpower us. And the intrusive thought is not necessarily going to happen, mm-hmm. and that's really important. 
And then what I would do is once we get to the bottom of the steps, I would take a moment because we want to acknowledge when we do something well, especially as a mom, especially in new motherhood, when it is all so overwhelming. I would take a second and go, wow, I'd look back at the steps and I go, hey, it actually went okay. And then I'd give the baby a kiss and then I'd keep it moving. And what we've done there is we now have an experience where intrusive thoughts came, we processed them, and then we moved forward. So the next time an intrusive thought comes, we are already starting to build that muscle memory of being able to effectively manage it. I love that. Yeah. And it's such a simple a simple tool to kind of incorporate. I mean, I even, you know, just speaking with you now, I can think of a bunch of different instances where I've had these very random, you know, and not only just related to my baby, but also my older kids, you know, like I'll picture us, you know, we were on a hike this afternoon and mm-hmm. I kept picturing my, my son was really tired and he's three and I'm like, oh my gosh, if he starts running and trips on a rock and then mm. he trips over and then he's going to hit his head on a rock and he's going to be unconscious. And it's like, yeah. wait a second. <laughs> Whoa, where's that coming from? Yes. And so it's half the time though, you're like, okay, I got to keep going, keep going. And so to kind of just take a step back and say, okay, no, like we need to like, let's acknowledge this and then we can, you know, move forward with it. I think that's, that's really important. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that, that Lindsay, that example you just gave is so common because we want to give our children enough freedom so that they can learn and grow, but it's our job to keep them safe, right? And we want to create these healthy boundaries for them. So that's such a perfect example of knowing my baby has to run. He has to go explore. We are on a hike. This is what he is meant to be doing. And at the same time, this little anxiety that I just experienced, it's trying to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to ignore it. I want to acknowledge it and go, yeah, you know what? The thought of him tripping on a rock and falling and being unconscious, gosh, that's horrifying. But I also know that I'm taking all the steps to keep him safe and healthy. And this is part of the experience. And then, like you said, you kept it moving. And by doing that, you started the muscle memory of not having intrusive thoughts take over. And now just to to really emphasize, because I know moms are trying to understand, well, when is there a problem? When is there an issue? Yeah. If in that example, you stopped going for hikes because of that fear, right? Mm -hmm. That would be a sign, hey, maybe we need some extra support because these intrusive thoughts are getting in the way of your ability to function and show up for your family and for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? We would also be mindful if we were on a hike and, and, and also if we were experiencing really severe postpartum depression, we might not be on a hike because it's very tough to feel motivated when, when we're experiencing depression. But let's say for the example, we are on a hike and we're experiencing severe postpartum depression. If the thought of him falling and becoming unconscious would provide some relief and the mom would say, oh, thank God, I'm so drained. I'm so tired. I just don't even want him. Or I can't. I, I need a break the thought of him not being here, then we're going down a road where we do want to get some additional support. So I just wanted to highlight that example because there's a way where we can really acknowledge whatever comes up for mom, whether it is, you know, a quote unquote healthy response, which is what we're talking about, name it and tame it and then keep it moving. Or if it's a mom that's really struggling, we want to be aware of those signs. So I really appreciate that example that you gave. Yeah. So I like how you kind of like divided that up in, into, you know, the examples of what postpartum anxiety would look like in that specific instance, and then what 
like postpartum depression might look like in that instance. Is that kind of how it would appear in, in, in other cases as well? Like, for example, um, you were saying with postpartum anxiety that, you know, if you're so anxious about something happening that you just stopped doing that activity altogether. And then with postpartum depression, it's more or less feeling like, okay, you know what, like, I, I actually, I would feel relief if something like this happened. Or is it is it kind of like exclusive like that? Or do they sometimes mesh together? Or yeah. So, so one thing to know is that people are so unique and moms are so nuanced that it's really tough to put things in exact boxes. And two thirds of moms that have postpartum depression actually have postpartum anxiety. Okay. So the symptoms we see, they overlap so much. Yeah. So I, I think the, the heart of your question and, and what you're kind of trying to get at is, you know, when it comes to postpartum depression, are we going to always feel relief or joy at the thought of something happening to to our child? And, and the answer to that is no. We might have more subtle presentations of postpartum depression. So, so to describe that a little bit, these are persistent feelings of sadness, of hopelessness, uh, an inability to, to feel joy or connect or take care of yourself or the baby. And oh my gosh, feeling like such a failure, right? Feeling like mm-hmm. I, I am not attuned to this child. I'm not connecting. Why did I blow my life up in this way? So those are some of the symptoms that go along with depression in addition to, to other physical symptoms. So changes in appetite, uh, memory issues, sleep disruptions, trouble concentrating is a really big one and just mm-hmm. overall a loss of pleasure in the things you enjoy doing. So you can have postpartum depression that is more on the mild side because it really is a spectrum. So just because you are, you know, still aware of those thoughts, you're not feeling like you would experience relief or you want things to happen to your child, that doesn't mean that that you don't necessarily have have um, a reason to seek support. If you are feeling persistently sad, if you do feel hopeless, if your appetite hasn't come back after the baby blues, if you're feeling like, why did I do this? If those happen, if those are coming up, that's a sign that support might be really helpful for you. And we want to take care of you and address these issues before it gets to the point where you're having those more severe thoughts, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for those that are specifically experiencing postpartum anxiety, what are some specific tools or strategy strategies that they could use? Yeah. So when it comes to anxiety, it's that feeling of fear and worry and discomfort. And we've all experienced those feelings for the racing thoughts. What we want to do is we want to not deny or avoid those thoughts. We want to address them. And that's why I mentioned sort of when we, we walked through it earlier, naming those thoughts speaking to ourselves because when we try to deny those feelings, they come back even stronger. Okay. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to vocalize these fears. We want to get them out so that it's not just in our head and in our heart. We want to share this with someone. So that might be our partner. It might be a therapist. It might be journaling. In some way, we want to express what's going on or at least acknowledge what's happening for us. And this also works in two ways. If we share with our partner or a member of our community, people that care about us, if we say, hey, I'm feeling super anxious and we describe what's going on, the hope is that they're going to provide some support Mm -hmm. and they'll provide some empathy. And that right there, asking for help is one of the 
biggest things that you can do in order to get support and in order to help these anxious feelings. We want to access our support system. We also want to do smaller things too. If we know that we're worried about getting all the right nutrition and we're worried about getting tasks done and it feels like the whole world is just overwhelming us right now, well, maybe having someone drop some food off, maybe hiring a a meal delivery service might be helpful, right? Doing small things where we allow our partner or our support team to provide that relief for us uh, can be a really helpful way of managing these anxious thoughts. Yeah, I, I love that. We kind of touched on postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, intrusive thoughts, kind of how to differentiate between all of those, when to seek support. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I know we have a lot of questions that pertain to to this from the community. I just mm-hmm. wanted to see if there's anything you wanted to touch on before we jump into those. Yes. So I loved your question about like concrete tips. I love step-by-step things. So let's break down a few more steps you can take to manage your mental health if you're starting to feel overwhelmed. And like I said, this doesn't necessarily have to be something that fits within a diagnosis, right? Being a mom is hard. Let's normalize that we feel anxious, we feel fearful. And what we can do is take small steps throughout our day to create meaningful routines and a system that can provide support. So I'd love to just give a few more tips before we get to the questions. Is that cool? Yeah. Beautiful. So what we want to do is we want to notice our triggers. Okay. So we've already talked about the stairs. We talked about the balcony. If I know that the stairs are a trigger for me, About 10, 15 feet away, a few minutes before I get to the stairs, I'm already going to be talking to myself and going, all right, we're walking up to the stairs right now. You know what? Last time I talked myself through it and everything went okay. I'm pretty, I'm I'm feeling confident that it's going to go again. It's going to, you know, go really well again, but I'm just going to, just going to acknowledge it. Stairs kind of freak me out a little bit. I'm holding my baby. I'm going to give him a kiss on the head. All right, we're at the stairs now, and then we process it like we already went through, right? So we want to know our triggers and prep themselves for it. So if we know that at the end of the night, seeing all of the bottles and the dishes in the sink, are it's really triggering for us, I might go ahead and ask my partner ahead of time, you know what, I want you to do the dishes at that time, right? I am going to assert my needs. First, I have to acknowledge them, right? I want to acknowledge the trigger. Oof, okay, it's the dishes at the end of the day. That is the trigger for me. I spiral out. I'm super worried, <laughs> right? We've all been there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to preemptively tell my partner, this is how you can support me, mm-hmm. okay? So knowing your triggers. We also want to manage social media. There is so much <laughs> that we consume, right? Mm-hmm. That can be triggering for us. So when the mute button came to be, all of us in the mental health field just like rejoiced because (laughs) it's such a good tool to mute people or forces or whatever it is that is not contributing to us. And also, if we're trying to calm our anxious feelings, we do not want to be surprised. Okay. So we only want to be consuming social media and news that is bolstering us and making Mm -hmm. us feel better. So we want to manage our social media, right? And then the other thing that we can do is we can have small routines because being a mom is really hard. Trying to fit self-care in is really difficult. So if I know that every morning I'm going to 
have my hydro flask. I'm going to have my big carafe of water and I'm going to fill it up and throw some lemons in there. And I know I'm going to be hydrated throughout the day. This might sound like a small thing, but that's one way where I am initiating self-care. Mm-hmm. I'm getting hydrated. I'm taking care of myself. And I am now setting that pattern where I'm taking care of myself. If I know that once a day, me and the baby, we are going to get outside. We're going to get some fresh air. The reason why these small moments are so important is that in our nervous system, there are two systems. There's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And I'm going to keep it really simple without all the the psychology jargon. But the point is the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight. So that puts all of these hormones in our body that cause us to feel stressed out, cortisol, adrenaline. What we can do is to activate sort of the, the... opposite side, the parasympathetic nervous system, that's the one that is in charge of rest. It helps our immune system. We feel replenished. It counteracts the stress hormones of the sympathetic nervous system. The way we activate the parasympathetic nervous system is by doing all these really beautiful self-care tasks, getting fresh air, putting healthy food in our body, stretching our body. I I haven't exercised since I've had my baby. I'll be completely honest. That's not the priority, but stretching in some capacity, moving your body, getting fresh air, going on a hike, listening to music, journaling, all of these things can feel, oh, it's trivial. Oh, it's fine. I'll be okay. These small things are the foundation for taking care of your mental health and your well-being. So if there's one thing that I can share, it's that you're not alone. These feelings are common. Any emotional issues that come up are important and valid. And I encourage you to welcome feelings that come up and do these small tasks throughout the day uh, because self-care can really be a game changer and and it can really activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps us feel so good. I absolutely love everything that you just said. So <laughs> I, I babbled on for quite some time, so no, I'm glad it was good. <laughs> really though. So like, um, have you ever read the book, Make Your Bed? It's by... Oh, he, like a general yes. or somewhat. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. And it is so... I've only read a little bit of it, but the the general theme is that, listen, if you do one thing all day, right? Mm-hmm. And you just make your bed first thing in the morning, you're yes. setting yourself up for success as opposed to getting out of your bed, leaving it a mess and proceeding on with your day. And so I am very much in that camp where I'm like, make the bed. And I have very rarely not made the bed. And I can absolutely tell you those days were terrible. Like I'm exactly the same way. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's, and, and some people, that kind of thing doesn't, bother them. And I right. think that's great. And sometimes I wish I could be that person, but a lot of people, right. And so it's the same thing with like, okay, I come downstairs before I start my day. Mm-hmm. I make myself my big jug of water. Like you said, with my, yeah. and my Oh, and do my you actually, you do that too? Oh, I, I love, love it. Well, yes, but I don't do the lemon, but I do. Yeah. I do my little, my little concoction and I get yes. started with my, and it, it's like it, today. So funny that you said today, I didn't do that until literally right before I got on this podcast and I felt like a dehydrated, like just shriveled up prune oh, all no. day. And I'm like, oh man, you know, so it just goes to show you though. It really is. So it really is those little small things. So for those listening, I feel like just even making one tiny small adjustment to your day, just think of something that you really 
something that you do every day that brings you joy, something so simple. It could be, I really like getting up and reading from the Bible. I really Mm -hmm. like getting up and making sure that my nails are done, whatever it is. It could be literally Mm -hmm. anything. And just just doing that one thing every single morning before you attend to everybody else and just seeing mm-hmm. how you feel after a week. I feel it's like, a game changer. Oh, it, huge. It's a game changer. And I want to share when I first brought my baby home and it was so overwhelming and I was experiencing intrusive thoughts. And I also had postpartum insomnia where I, I could not sleep. Oh. And which, which that's also something to be mindful of. You know, one of the signs is when oh, the baby, you know, you're supposed to sleep when the baby sleeps. And I don't know how accurate that's, I, I don't know if that's working for you. Beautiful. But I, I wasn't able to do that. But if you're staying up and you can't sleep when the baby's sleeping, that, that is a sign of, of something because we want to be rested. Right. But I know during that first, I'd say month or two, every time I took a shower, which is like glorious, right. It's like mm-hmm. the best thing ever. I had a little small a container of eucalyptus essential oil. Mm -hmm. And I would pour a few drops just in the shower and it would just fill up the room and it would steam. And for those few like beautiful moments, I felt like I was in this spa that I created for myself. And Mm -hmm. I would, I would stretch and I would just sort of like feel the water on my body. And the reason I'm going into this is that oftentimes we do not feel like we're worthy of this or we feel like it's overly indulgent like oh why am i doing this who am i to be taking these few moments and pretending I, you know i'm in the spa or, or taking care of myself in this way and my question back is well who are you to not be taking mm-hmm. care of yourself if if you're not prioritizing your physical and emotional well-being by taking these small small steps. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing this, who's going to do it for you? And we want to show up as our most evolved and and fulfilled and present selves for our kids and our families. Mm-hmm. And that starts by us taking care and showing up for ourselves. Yes, 100%. I also really, really loved one other thing you had mentioned, and then we can go on to the questions. So, I mean, I could go on for hours about this. Obviously, I I talk about this a lot when it comes to social media. Mm. And oh my goodness, especially when it comes to motherhood and Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to being a first-time mom, because I know like for me personally, going from zero to one was my hardest transition of all. Um, You're going from you know, no children to having a child. And so that to me was just so devastating. And just we had a lot of issues in the beginning. And I had been, you know, I had my blog at the time, but I actually completely stopped. Really? Like three months. Yeah, I would only go on very rare. It was a big trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like if I was going to the internet and social media to kind of like, quote unquote, escape what mm. was going on and try like, you know, it's all a lot of like trial and error. When you're a first time mom, you have no idea what you're doing. I can't imagine the detrimental effects it would have had on me specifically if I was scrolling through the interwebs and just seeing all of these, you know, moms with these perfect little 
babies and looking like they weren't struggling, you know, and not know. everybody portrays this perfect look, but a lot of people aren't going to post these, you know, pictures right. of them crying with their baby, you know, I just don't, it's just not the nature of social media. And so I do also want to emphasize that because I think when you brought that up, it's so, it's something that I think people don't realize too. They're like, oh no, but this, this is something I do for myself. It's almost part of my mental health. I get to go get lost in, in someone else, but it's really important. I think too, to like, just be lost in, you know, what's going on with your own personal situation. And it's just, it makes things really, really, really hard. So something that I found to be really helpful during that time and just figured I'd share is, Think about those people that you're you're following and those accounts that you're looking at on a daily basis. And if you feel like you're being, you know, if you're stressed or anxious or what have you, just going through those and saying, okay, why do I follow this person? Are they mm-hmm. contributing to my life in a in a way that makes me happy? That makes me feel like I'm a better mom. That makes me feel, you know, like good at the end of the day. Then that's great. I think that's perfect. And if they don't, like you said, you can mute them. Or you can unfollow them. And yes. This is really like your own personal newspaper. Like you can do whatever you want with it. You don't have to feel obligated to follow people. You don't. And if you feel, if it's like one of your friends, mute them. They won't yes. know about it, right? They will have no idea that you muted them. I completely, I completely agree. We are in charge of what we consume. There is so much in the world that is out of our control. And yet this is one way where we get to be such an active participant in what we consume the social media and the news. So I am a big believer in consistently going through your feed and only having people that you follow that serve you. And I also think diversify your feed. I love following National Geographic. I want to know what is happening across the world with animals. I, and that might sound random, but the whole point is we can get siloed where we are just in our own little world where we think, this is all that we can look at. And then we really need to take the blinders off. And this isn't not to make this like a full circle moment, but this is how mental health works too. When we are so focused on our own experience and we think there's, there must be something wrong with me and mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I'm struggling. And like you said, nobody on social media is talking about intrusive thoughts and no one on social media is mentioning that they go to therapy to better manage their relationship you know, during postpartum with their partner. If we think, if we're just so focused on, oh, there's must be something wrong with me. I really encourage the women listening to know that there are people managing mental health. There are people struggling. There are people that are now free of symptoms after addressing them, right? So, So let's take off those blinders. Let's acknowledge what we can control, right? Which we've Mm -hmm. discussed our self-care rituals, uh, asserting our needs and boundaries to our partners, to our communities. So they take care of us during this postpartum period, social media and the news. These are things that we can control. And when we harness these, it makes managing all of that wild chaos that's going on outside of us that we definitely cannot control. It makes that a little bit more tolerable. Yes. Yes. I... (laughs) I love that you, you said you follow National, National Geographic. I do. <laughs> because no, but I think that's so great. So that's one of the things I think is so great. And I'm I'm constantly doing that too, where I'm like adjusting who I'm following, depending on where I am in my mental capacity. So if you feel as a mom, if one of those triggers is like you go on there and you feel like 
you're not offering your kids enough or you're, you know, you, maybe you just, you know, stop looking and unfollowing those accounts and you follow accounts like, for example, National Geographic or, you know, some home decor accounts. Maybe you want to start get, getting lost in some home decor, like, or DIY or, you know, cute animals or travel, or you want to, yes. like, you know, picture yourself in Morocco or whatever, you know, like that would be a really nice 10 minute escape where you go onto your feed and you start, you know, even maybe you even just create a new Instagram account for that period of time when you're feeling like, you know what, maybe for the next couple of months, I need to just only follow certain accounts. And maybe you make a different account and maybe you only follow five accounts of travel, you know, or what have you. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I I think that's great. It's so important. And the question that, that you can ask yourself is, do I feel replenished after consuming this or do I feel depleted and be mindful, right? When, when we have intention and we're, we're actually aware that makes life so much better because we can kind of get caught in this this either avoidance or mindless scrolling. And I, I really encourage women that I work with to be active participants in their life. Like yeah. if something's making you feel bad, like let's call it out. Like especially with motherhood, if you're feeling angry, let's talk about it. Anger is a warning sign. It's telling us that something's not working. Are you feeling depleted? Are you feeling unsupported? Mm-hmm. And that kind of works with social media too. If something is triggering you, Let's talk about it and not just mindlessly go past it, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Are we ready for questions? What do you think? I'm so ready. Let's do it. We're so ready. All right, let me pull them up. So we have the first one here. If you have postpartum depression once, are you more likely to get it again? The answer to that is yes. So one of the risk factors is that if we have pre-existing conditions, so if we have experienced depression or anxiety or any mental health challenges previously, that does put us at greater risk to experience them the second time. Does this mean that if you had PPA or PPD, your first pregnancy, that you will definitely have it in your second one? No, there's no guarantee. But research tells us that you are at a, a higher chance of experiencing it again. Yes. Okay. Now this next question is interesting. Is is there such a thing as post-weaning depression? So you felt great, you felt all fine and good, and then you wean your baby mm-hmm. and you get depressed. I I love this question because we need to be talking about this. Yes, this mm-hmm. is a real thing and it's called post-weaning depression and they're doing research on it right now. And what happens is when we first give birth to the baby, right? We bring them home, our progesterone and estrogen go way down. That's those are the hormones that were helping us, you know, while we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And oxytocin and prolactin increase because that is what helps us get our milk and so while we're nursing for however long that is, once we start weaning, those levels prolactin and oxytocin go down, right? It makes sense because we're not breastfeeding. Well, both of these hormones help support our mood and well-being. So it makes sense if we're weaning and we're no longer having these hormones in our system, we're not benefiting from one of the side effects, which is improved and and elevated mood. Mm -hmm. So yes, post-weaning depression is a real thing. And if you're feeling heightened symptoms, like what we talked about earlier when we discussed depression, If you're feeling those, reaching out for support is absolutely valid because the hormonal changes and the things that are going on in your system are absolutely worthy of of focus because it's a real thing. 
Yeah, yeah. And that actually just made me think, you know, I feel like, like you had mentioned a couple of times throughout the podcast is, is that, you know, some of these moms will feel really shamed if they're having these thoughts or, mm. and so much of this can be hormonal related, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, I feel like that's so important to kind of drive home is yeah. that we are all experiencing these different levels of hormones. We're all going to have different reactions to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I feel like kind of emphasizing that it's, it's not almost making it like telling people, you know, like this is not just because you were completely fine without kids, you know, your hormones might have this, it might actually just change you completely when you have a baby. Yeah, I I understand. I think what you're, I I hear what you're saying is that this is not a reflection or necessarily connected to uh, the person that you were before you had a kid, right? So uh, let's let's release that shame or that guilt because oftentimes I think what you're saying is I'm not the type of person that, you know, feels unmotivated. I'm not the type of person that doesn't want to get out of bed. I- I'm not the type of person that feels disconnected from my partner or my mm-hmm. myself. I'm I'm not the type of person that has suicidal thoughts. Well, maybe given what you've experienced, maybe being a mom, maybe these hormones that are in your system, if we also pair that with a few other risk factors, if there was a traumatic birth experience or there was a medical intervention, which is another risk factor, well, all of a sudden there are a few environmental things that have come together that are making you have these symptoms, okay? There is no shame in that. And like I said earlier, when we have these intrusive thoughts, these are just thoughts. These are not a reflection of you as a woman or as a mother. And it's the same way there is so much stigma attached to mental health that we think, oh, I shouldn't admit this. What does it mean for me as a mom if I'm not feeling immediately connected to my baby? Everyone's obsessed with their baby when they first bring them home. There is nothing wrong with you feeling this way. And there are specific steps, which we can get into a little bit later, that you can take if you need further support reaching out to a maternal mental health specialist, right? If you do need to go on medications, there are ones that you can go on that do not interfere with breastfeeding, right? So there are steps we can take, but the first thing we've got to do is acknowledge these symptoms, actually listen to our body when they're they're telling us what's going on, and then take steps and, and be aware of the stigma that might lead us to not acknowledge them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think thank you for kind of taking that from me. Cause I am thinking yeah. in my head, I'm like, you know, I feel like we really need to touch on this. How do I explain this? <laughs> yeah. I, I heard you. I got what you were saying. You got me. You got me. I gotcha. It's late. It's late. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, no. Yeah. I just feel like that's so important because mm-hmm. hormones are crazy, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The, no. The, and especially post-birth during the, the baby blues period. Yeah. I, I heard it described as like a, a perfect cocktail of hormonal roller coaster. Like it was just mm-hmm. the, a statement of just like, yeah, this is chaos. And I think if moms don't know that, you know, you're going to be crying. There's going to be tears coming out of your eyes that you have no idea what they're coming from or why this is happening. Hormones govern so much of what's going on in our body. So if we can just sort of 
separate ourselves from what's happening and look at it objectively and go, okay, well, I'm teary-eyed, I'm anxious, I'm hormonal, I'm fatigued, I'm so tired, my body isn't just my own anymore, I just had surgery. Like, If we can take a moment and just acknowledge the enormity of becoming a mom, oh my gosh, we are so worthy of self-compassion. And that's one of the other big things that we talk about in supporting new moms, whether they are just experiencing baby blues. And I don't say just in like a pejorative way, but compared to more severe symptoms, right? If if we can have some self-compassion and if we can realize how common these symptoms are and we know that support and and help is there if we need it, that's really a recipe for feeling better. Yeah, I love that. All right. Let's see here. I got so distracted on that. I know. I Okay. <laughs> Where did we go with that? I know. I, really, I mean, that's 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 just interesting though because I I'm like already depressed thinking about weaning my fourth baby. Okay, so let's. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm in the process of weaning right now. That I know that's quite an honest thing to say here, but so I you know I'm experiencing those changes as well, and it's it's just our bodies. This is a natural part of it. So I totally hear you that you're already kind of and, and it, this is your fourth baby. So this is yeah. This is, yeah. Done. Yeah. <gasps> oh well, of course you're having feelings attached to I that. Know, I can't even, oh. I can't even acknowledge it right now. We have to You're on. like, next question. I got to keep <laughs> yeah, it moving. I'm, I'm going against your advice too. I'm just burying the hatchet here. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not, okay, I I'm not naming it. That's okay. okay. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is a good one. Ways mm. to help your husband understand postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or intrusive thoughts so he can help instead of hinder the situation. Oh, first of all, this is so common. Our partners, they don't know how to help if we do not tell them what's going on, right? So the first thing we want to do is we want to express what's happening and share our inner world. And we also want to check in with them because I have a feeling that there are some common experiences happening right now. Yeah. Both, you probably both miss each other. You're, you know, missing that connection. It's very common also for you know, partners to feel a sense of, well, you're feeling more connected to the baby than I am. So we really want to invite our partner. We want them to be in on our experience. It's hard for them to help and understand if we're not sharing our inner world with them. Another thing that we can do is express our needs. So the example that I gave earlier with saying, hey, my worry goes through the roof at night when I come, I've just put the baby to bed. I come into the kitchen and my sink is filled with bottles. Like, can you please help out in that way? And then that's opening up the lines of communication for your partner. They can then say, well, what's that like for you? And what kind of worried thoughts are they happening all day? Oh, okay. It's just during those key moments. Okay. Maybe I can step in to help. Right. So we want to invite our partner to be a part of our world and also some psychoeducation can be helpful. So for the women that are listening now, we've just shared some really important facts with you. Half of new moms experience intrusive thoughts, right? You know, one in five women will experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. So these are very common things to experience and sharing that with your partner so that they know how common this is too uh, can be a, a good place to, to start mm-hmm. the conversation. So I, I would say those two things, sharing your 
Well, actually, I'd say those three things, sharing your inner world with them so you guys can join in some capacity, right? Setting boundaries and expectations on how they can support you. And then, you know, reminding them that this is real. This is uh, very common. And this is something that we can work through together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to have that person on your team, you know? Mm, Yes. And it will make you feel a lot less alone if that person's in there rooting for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And they they can't root for us or be on our team if we don't let them know what we're struggling with. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at least personally, I can can speak to this where I, I feel like I've either A, had the conversation with my husband or that he should just automatically know how I'm feeling, right? Oh, yeah. So I'll be like, hey, I can't believe, you know, and he'd be like, Lindsay, you didn't even tell me about yeah. that. And I was like, yes, I did. And he's like, no, you didn't. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I think sometimes too, as women, maybe we just, we think we might be having that conversation or we're having it in our head and we're not voicing it. So just, yeah, I mean, even if it's, if it's not, maybe if you're feeling, you know, anxious about it or what have you, maybe even having a journal with your spouse, maybe. Oh, I love that idea. Right. Like maybe like writing down, this is how I'm feeling today. I had a, or maybe your spouse went to work and during the day you're like, okay, it's going to be really hard for me. It's going to be exhausting for me to go through this again. When my, my spouse comes home, maybe just writing down a quick paragraph of what happened during the day. You know, the kids were really difficult today. This happened. It was really hard for me you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so then they know how your day was. You don't have to re-explain it, right? Is that like a good... No, I, I love that idea because if that works for the couple, then that's great. If you find that towards the end of the day, you've completely forgotten that you experienced these like kind of charged symptoms earlier in the day. But if you wrote it down, you can share it with them. It's really about figuring out what works for the couple. But what the the one thing that I really love about you mentioning that is if we're concerned about our symptoms, right? We talked earlier about how it's so tough to know, is this baby blues or is this postpartum depression? Is this important? Are these intrusive thoughts? so big that I need help. It's really helpful if we've been cluing our partner into what's going on. They can see if things are escalating and getting more severe, or they're seeing if symptoms are resolving. So they can say, hey, babe, I've noticed that like it's been like a, a week and a half since you mentioned that you've had any sort of intrusive thoughts. Is that true? Or have you just not been sharing it with me? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got a teammate who's supporting you in your mental health. And I mean, that's like, what's better than that? Yeah. And so yes, any way that you can communicate and share your experience. And I do want to say that these is postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. There's also a few that fall under the perinatal category. Like um, there's OCD, for instance, and panic. But this does not just impact women. Fathers experience this mm-hmm. as well partners that were not the ones that gave birth experience this as well. And adoptive parents experience these as well. So we really need to be aware that this is impacting everyone and communicating it to our partner because chances are they're experiencing some pretty enormous uh, feelings and changes as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see here. Next question. This one's one's an interesting one. Does placenta encapsulation really help with postpartum depression? Okay. This is a good question. So I kind of have two answers. So I'm going to try to to merge these together and not be wildly long-winded at it. So 
Factually speaking, looking at the research, there has not been extensive research into whether placenta encapsulation or ingesting your placenta improves anxiety symptoms or depressive symptoms. So we don't have the science, or at least the science that that I've seen backing it. However, what I want to mention, I want to bring up what we talked about earlier about rituals and turning to ourselves. So let's say, for instance, there is a doula or a midwife that you loved that was there and supported you during this incredibly traumatic thing that is birth. They then created these pills and it was a a woman-owned location that created these pills for you. And then each day when you take these pills, you think of your doula, you feel better, and you believe that that this is supporting you. Man, that is a routine that is going to provide you relief and safety, right? So just because the science is not backing it, there there's no signs of harm, right? So if this because many people believe that this is helpful. So who who is if the science is there not saying that this is this is inaccurate, who's to say that this is not helpful, right? Or to deny a woman's experience if her anxiety symptoms have been relieved by taking these or ingesting this, oh my gosh, amazing, right? Yeah. So my answer to this is that the science is not with this. However, so many women experience relief and believe in this. And the the holistic medicine can be, you know, such a source of nourishment and safety. So if a mom is interested in this, I really encourage her to do her own research and see what feels right for her. Yes. Did I answer that? No, you answered it perfectly. Okay. You answered it perfectly. I've had so many people ask me about placenta encapsulation. And to be completely honest with you, I've never even looked into it. <gasps> Interesting. Okay. I know. And, and baby number four, I don't know why. It's just not something I've ever really like been curious about. Not that I wouldn't be down for it. I'm down for just yeah. about anything, you know, but I always get asked about it. So it's just something I, yeah, I don't know anything about it. So I was just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just interesting. Okay. I would love to chat about this briefly. Oh, okay. So postpartum rage. Hmm. Yes. So, I mean, I, I actually, gosh, I think this is after my, my, my third, where this really all of a sudden out of nowhere was really heightened. And I, I feel like this is something that is not talked about nearly enough, almost like the intrusive thoughts where it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Can you touch on that? Yeah. So this is so common and we need to be talking about this because there's a lot of shame involved. I'm a, I'm a new mom. I'm supposed to be, you know, supposed in quotes, I'm supposed to be, I should be my happiest. Why am I so irritated to the point where I feel like I want to lash out and throw things and I'm experiencing so much rage. So we then turn inward and we feel shame. So postpartum rage is a very common thing that women experience it. And not to say that everyone that experiences postpartum rage is experiencing postpartum depression because that's not the case. Mm-hmm. However, a severe irritability and feelings of rage can be a symptom within postpartum depression, which we it's kind of confusing, right? We think, oh, I'm depressed. I should just be lethargic and unmotivated and hopeless. No, we can feel really irritable, really frustrated and filled with rage at times. So, I like to think of it as, well, what is the message? What is the underlying feeling to this rage? Am I feeling like I'm not being heard? Have I not been tending to my uh, self-care lately? 
Am I still mourning a piece of my past or I'm feeling sad uh, or frustrated that my life is not what it used to be? Am I sort of trying to deny that things have changed? Underneath postpartum rage, there can be some really helpful information. So the first thing is, yes, postpartum rage is legitimate. Your feelings are uh, valid. Mm-hmm. And then the next piece is, well, let's dig a little deeper and let's get curious rather than judgmental. And let's sort of explore what's going on underneath that. Yeah, it's just something, it's so interesting that it's just something that no one talks about. You know, people, I feel Mm -hmm. like postpartum anxiety and depression are something that people are at least talking about nowadays. You know, it's it's a little bit more openly talked about, but the intrusive thoughts and the rage part of it are really not, and they're more common, right? No, absolutely. And I think we, it's not in line with what we think motherhood, quote unquote, should be, Mm -hmm. you know, struggling to control your temper. Like, well, why am I doing that? Or all of a sudden I'm screaming or swearing and I'm doing it at my partner and there's a baby around. Like all of these things are not in line with what we think that we should be in this, you know, motherhood season of our life. You know, having sort of violent thoughts or violent urges, these things that come along with postpartum rage, I'm glad we're talking about it because this is something that moms experience. And like I mentioned earlier, this does not reflect on you as a woman or as a mother. And these are just thoughts that are habit that you're having. Mm-hmm. If, you know, what we mentioned earlier, if you are feeling uh, suicidal or if you are feeling violent, if you are uh, planning to hurt your baby, those are things that we want to immediately reach out for help as soon as possible because those are signs that you are in need of support, right? So I, I want to be really clear about that. There, we, there's a lot of gray area in these topics, right? But if there is, it, but one thing that I can say unequivocally is that if you are planning to hurt yourself or you are planning to hurt your baby, there are people there and they are ready to support you. However, if we are just having feelings of rage or screaming or our temper, or we just, mm-hmm. we, we want to, you know, do something that we've never done before, that in, in and of itself is not enough to feel that something is definitely wrong. What we want to do is investigate what's going on uh, beneath that. We want to access our support team. And COVID has been really challenging because we have, we don't have our support systems, right? We can't just have our friends come over and pour a glass of wine or some tea and just hang out. So what we want to do when we're experiencing those symptoms is we want to reach out for support. We want to reach out to our therapist if we have one. We want to go through those channels so that we can address what's going on. Yeah, I know that's a long answer for postpartum rage, but we need to talk about this because women are experiencing it, which means we've got to be talking about it. Yeah. Now, have you, and this is just out of my own curiosity, have you seen an uptick in, you know, all of these disorders during this past year, like just generally, like not looking for any like, you know, specific data, but like just in your practice, have you just seen an uptick in? Yeah. Yeah. And I can answer that from my own experience. Yes. Seeing it with clients and they actually have done research and studies are showing that there are increased levels of these mood disorders and anxiety disorders for moms. So this is very real and very important because there there is an increased experience for, for moms right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see here. Christy, it looks like she gives a little bit of an example. So she said that her pregnancy and delivery was great. She had no issues. Her baby's really easy, but she mm-hmm. feels like she's constantly looking for something to be wrong. 
like things are too good to be true? Is mm. could this be postpartum anxiety? Well, I think I think I would want to know more questions. That's very ther- therapisty of me that I would yeah. want to know more details. But my question, my follow-up question for her would be, how are these intrusive thoughts or the, these feelings of this is too good to be true? Uh, the, it sounds like the other shoe is going to drop. That's that's the kind of feeling right now. Yeah. How are those impacting her life? So it, are these intrusive thoughts just coming up every once in a while and she's able to manage them effectively and move forward and experience joy with her baby? Or yeah. are these this feeling that, oh my gosh, this is too good to be true? Are these persistent Mm -hmm. and are they pervasive and are they showing up in all different aspects of her life? Mm -hmm. Depending on that answer, it's going to really dictate what's going on and, and, you know, the steps to take to, to remedy that. In answering that question, I just want to be clear that it's less about, do I fit into the box of something and more about, well, how are these symptoms showing up? How is my functioning in my life? And if I'm not functioning well, or if I need extra support, boom, I know that there are steps I can take, right? So, yeah. but but what she's experiencing, that that's, you know, my heart feels for her because when things are going good, man, it's scary. And we feel like things are, are going to change or go the opposite direction. So I, I, I so hear her question and feel for her. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I know you touched on this very briefly, antidepressants and breastfeeding. So I know a lot of people get concerned, you know, well, if I do seek help, maybe they're going to suggest that I I go on something. Is Mm -hmm. it going to be safe for the baby? Is this something I should just wait for? Or maybe I'll just try to fix it at home by myself because I don't want that. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think you hit the nail on the head that moms are afraid that they're going to be told that they have to be medicated. I think one of the other fears is I don't want to reach out because I, are they going to say I'm not a good enough mom? Is it going to impact me with my kids? You know, there's a lot of fears that go, that go along, right? Are they going to take my kids away because I'm having these scary thoughts? And the answer to that is no, these scary thoughts are okay and, and we can handle them. But in regards to medication, so Research shows us that when we are experiencing mood disorders, uh, a combination of talk therapy and then medications, that that is the most effective. That's what the research says. However, there are so many different options available to people if they're struggling and they want support. So I would really encourage moms to not avoid or deny reaching out due to them not wanting to go on medication, Mm -hmm. right? There are uh, talk therapy, there are options, there's a support system that you can build up. You do not have to go on medications. However, they are highly effective, especially with these disorders. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not a medical doctor, so I think speaking to a psychiatrist or your GP is definitely the way to go. But when we look at new mothers and we look at supporting them with with um, these challenges, talk therapy and medications can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And specifically, they do not interfere with breastfeeding. I know I mentioned that earlier. That's one of the biggest fears. I'm, I'm trying to feed my baby and you're telling me I have to take these pills. Nope. And like I said, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist. So I, I encourage you to, to speak to, to someone about that. But um, SSRIs are highly effective and they do not interfere with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I also want to note that a lot of women do not reach out for support because they think this is going to sign me up for years and years of therapy. And I'm going to have to talk about my youth and talk about, you know, I don't want to open up these can of worms. I'm already Mm -hmm. struggling so much as it is. I don't want to have to delve into this. 
I want to be really clear. There are forms of therapy that are present focused and it takes a few months to address what's going on. And you can begin to feel relief very quickly if you're working with a mental health clinician mm-hmm. and getting support. So I just want to be really clear that that people are not signing up for some intensive thing. If you're having symptoms, if you want support, yes, medication is available to you. Nobody will force medication on you. And any clinician that you work with that is a good support system will provide the type of treatment that will support you best. Mm -hmm. And it does not have to be long-term treatment necessarily. Good. Great. Okay. So this is a good one. How do I know if I'm just sleep deprived or experiencing postpartum (laughs) anxiety or depression? I mean, obviously we know as moms, you and I both know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be sleep deprived for months. (laughs) So it's like, how do we really, <laughs> Yes. How do we, how do we know if one is, you know, how do we right. know if we're suffering from, from sleep deprivation versus an yes. prenatal mood disorder? Oh, and the sleep deprivation is so real and oh, it yes. is, it, it just, it's so, yeah, it's very intense. One of the ways that we can distinguish between the two, if this is just a sleep challenge or, or if it's something else. Uh, something like a mood disorder, when you do get a little bit of rest and you're able to do something that you enjoy because you're feeling rested, whether it's watching a show you love, doing a hobby, doing pottery, spending some time with your partner, if you get a little bit of rest and then you are experiencing joy or feeling feeling present with your baby or feeling a sense of enjoyment, that is more inclined to have it be based on sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. However, right? That makes sense. Yeah. However, if you get a bit of sleep and you are still feeling hopeless, ruminating thoughts, um, appetite changes, sleep disturbances, not feeling a connection whatsoever with your baby, because let's normalize that sometimes it takes a while to bond, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're feeling no connection and you're getting a little bit of sleep and you're still feeling those things, then that might be a sign that it is something that is a little more intensive and you might need more support. So that's one way to distinguish what's going on. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. So, huh. Okay. Are these disorders, any of them, and you might not know the answer to this, but we're going to ask it because it's interesting. (laughs) Oh, I'm on the hot seat. Tell me. (laughs) Now I'm nervous. Are any of these more prevalent with moms having boys or girls, or is there no difference? Or do we not even have data on that? I do know the answer to this. And uh, yes, there is definitive data. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I know we need like sound effects in the background, I feel like. (laughs) Um, Yes, there is data showing that moms who give birth to sons uh, have uh, higher rates of struggling with perinatal mood and anxiety oh. disorders. Do we, know, and so do we know why? This is, this is interesting. So that I do not have the answer to. Okay. I'm, I'm not that good. I don't know that. <laughs> but I know, oh, darn it. Now we need the like wah, wah <laughs> sound in the, in the background. So yes, uh, research shows us that uh, moms who have sons tend to have higher rates of these disorders. However, that does not mean that if you are giving birth to a son that you will have these disorders. I just want to be really clear. But yeah, yeah it, it's pretty wild that the research is showing us that. So that's something to, to be mindful of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So last question. I feel like this is a good one to end on. Okay. Okay. How do we find counselors that specialize in PPA or PPD in our 
community or telehealth. So if I'm somebody in, Mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, Indiana, Mm -hmm. what are my steps? So I don't have a psychiatrist. I don't have a psychologist. I don't have a I don't have anybody that I know of that I can speak to. What are Mm -hmm. my first steps? What do I do? Right. So great question. The first thing we want to think about is, do you feel that your doctor is a safe place that you can discuss this with? Because that is going to be a great option. Then you'll be clicked into your insurance and you might be able to go that route. So, and sometimes people do not feel safe with their doctor, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to clarify that. So if that is an avenue you can go down, talk to your doctor. The other thing is talk to your pediatrician. What we're seeing now is pediatricians, because we see them more often in the first few months of giving birth than we do our actual doctor, which, which is like crazy, absurd. But we which, even talk about. Oh, we need oh, two more hours to oh, discuss girl. this. Yeah, we I know. You heard me say, oh, girl, too. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So, so that's, yeah, like, don't, don't activate me right now. Cause this, <laughs> cause that is such, I, I just feel so strongly about this, oh but anyways, really? so back, I mean, oh yeah. my gosh, mothers are the ones taking care of the babies. I know. Sake. Oh, I know. Okay. Let's move on quick. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to name it and tame it. We're both frustrated that this is the reality. Now let's <sighs> set it aside. Okay. Right. So right. what I was saying, we are more likely going to be seeing our pediatrician pediatricians now have questions that they ask at the bottom where it's not just doing checkups on your child. They're also asking about your mental health. So if you're having issues, you can voice that to your pediatrician as well. And I'm, I'm mentioning this because I want you to know that you're not alone in this and there are people that are there to support you. Yeah. And a pediatrician is there to support you. If you're having issues, they can be someone that can point you in the right direction. So you're already not alone. If you're taking your child to their doctor's appointments, and if you're part of an insurance panel, or not panel, but you have an insurance, you're, you're supported, that's an avenue you can go down, right? But if that's not an option, if you go to psychology today, I love that I'm like, doing an advertisement an advertisement for them. But if you go, <laughs> you can go and you can type in maternal mental health and you will they'll get a whole list of practitioners that list themselves as experts and quality support systems for you. Now, if you, uh, you mentioned the example being in Indiana, if you are very far away in the middle of nowhere, that might not be the best option. However, there is teletherapy. Mm-hmm. And there is teletherapy on Psych Today as well. So you can go do maternal mental health okay. and you can find someone and access teletherapy. And as a therapist myself, I want to share something with you because a big obstruction from getting help is people are like, it's not going to be a good fit. I don't want to reach out to this person. I also don't want to pay a bunch of money for like that first session and it's awkward. Yeah. Most therapists, myself included, do 15-minute free consultations. So you get a sense of them. They get a sense of you. There is no money exchanged. Quality clinicians also know if it's not a right fit, we want you to get support wherever it feels best for you. So do not feel uncomfortable or like, oh, I have to stick with this person because I did Mm -hmm. the free consultation. Mm -hmm. Nope, that's totally okay. So go on that website. You can do in-person therapy or teletherapy. And you can do the free consultation. I say shop around a little bit, do a few consultations, get a feel for it, especially if this is your first time with mental health. The overarching theme here is that there is support for you. Yeah. All right. Perfect. I'm going to put that in the show notes so that we can have everybody have access to it. You know what, Lindsay? I can also put together just like a PDF of 
different options because you can also go like like local universities because they're often training younger like more junior clinicians so you can often go there and it's a sliding scale so i don't know when when this is going to be shared with your listeners but i'll put together a pdf just like a step-by-step guide of how they can access mental health support if if they choose yeah and then yeah perfect so i have another question about that yeah so say there is a listener here and they were they're like oh I really want Catherine. <laughs> if they're, <laughs> just using this as an example. So yeah. If if I'm in, so you're in San Francisco, and so I'm in Florida, and I really want you to be my therapist. Mm. Are they going to be paying more out of pocket since you are out of state? So there's actually something that if you're not in this field, you don't realize all of us have to be federally. And mind you, this is different. Psychologists, therapists, coaches, but therapists, for instance, and we'll, I'll speak for me as, as a doctor, as a psychologist, we are federally, we have our federal license. So we have to pass tests to be a psychologist in the United States. And then we need licensure in our state. And in California specifically, I am only able to work with clients that are in California. They, right. that's, that's their rule. So when it comes to teletherapy, you really have to investigate, well, where is this person located? So for instance, yeah. I would not be able to work with a resident of Florida or Indiana, for instance. However, there are coaches and, you know, different, different types of clinicians and different modalities that, you know, you get to see what works for you. But just to answer your question, you have to be mindful that there are constraints on location. Yeah. And yeah, the reason why, so I didn't know the answer to that because I had done some very brief research back when the pandemic first hit. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to come up with basically a blog post of resources for specifically for health professionals and trying to hook them up with, you know, free resources, you know, mm-hmm. from therapists and psychologists. And because I had a lot of people that were like willing to help healthcare prof- professionals. Yes. But the problem was just what you explained, which mm-hmm. is that some of them were only able to help within their state. And so I think that that's just important to kind of drive home because yeah, it might vary. But now does the Psychology Today website give you like, if you wanted to, could you put in your state and it would give you people that you got it. With, okay, perfect. Yeah, you just put in your zip code and they bring up a whole bunch of people close to you, which is awesome. Okay, awesome. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So I have two last questions to ask you that are completely unrelated to the podcast, but is there anything else you wanted to talk about or wrap up? Is there anything you wanted to add that you think we might have missed? Oh, let me think. I think we have done an excellent job of covering what the symptoms look like how we can sort of examine how our functioning is and if we need extra support. So I, I think we've covered things really well. The The one lasting you know, comment I want to make is that this is so common and you are worthy of support and your feelings are valid. And, you know, one in five women are going to experience these, these disorders and, you know, 80% of us experience the baby blues. So mm-hmm. Just know that you're not alone as you're examining or experiencing this. And please know that if you are struggling, there is help available and you don't have to feel ashamed of what's what's going on for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. That got very serious there for a minute. I'm like, oh, goodness. These are very serious questions. 
<laughs> Are you ready? I'm, I think I'm, I'm braced. I'm ready. <laughs> so these are two questions I ask all my interviewees. So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice, it can be about anything. It does not need to be about what we talked about today. It can be about anything and you could tell it to any mom or somebody who wants to be a mom eventually. What would it be? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We need like another two hours because I have so much input. (laughs) I have so many opinions. Okay. So I think the one thing that I would want to share and that I wish would have been shared with me is that, you know, we, we get a lot of messages and they're kind of like very black or black and white thinking. One is like, get ready to never sleep again. And you're not going to see your partner for 18 years. And like, this is, you're not going to feel at home in your body. And like very, very intense kind of scary messages we receive. Mm -hmm. Right. And then on the other end, oh, this is euphoria and it's the best thing you'll ever do. And everything else pales in comparison. And I, I think what I appreciate is that there's this beautiful gray area in the middle where we honor both of those extremes, the extreme fatigue and frustration, and then also just being a mother is the most magical thing I've ever done, right? In that, in between those two, there's a gray area and the day-to-day experiences of being a mom are very fulfilling and we get to create the experience however we want it to be. And it doesn't have to be in extremes. I think that's really important to know that we're, we're not setting ourselves up for either uh, wild success and amazingness or uh, get ready for, for your life to be terrible. Like we, there, there's a beautiful middle ground in the air in in there and, and we get to choose to live there. Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. And grape water. I would share <laughs> grape water is helpful. <laughs> Can I can I interject that like every new mom should know that gripe water is really helpful. Gripe water will get you to that middle ground. Yeah. Oh my gosh that that should be like that should be like the name of of my biography because that's oh. so true. Oh my gosh. yes. Okay, and then the second question is, if you so how many kids do you have? I have one son. One son. So if you could, and you know he's young, but if you could feed your family one thing that you would all enjoy. That's super quick and easy. What would it be? Oh my gosh. This is, oh, this is an interesting question. So is this like, is it, is it a food that like has an emotional connection that I just like really want us all to enjoy together? Or is it like, this is quick and easy and we're all happy and easy and everybody will eat it. Like I want to give, yeah, because, oh, I love, okay. Families are, you know, moms are always like, oh gosh, I just need more, more like recipe ideas in my arsenal. Yes. Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I would say sweet potatoes, get a few sweet potatoes, cut them in half, put them in the oven. I think it's like put on 425 for like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on this, but, and then it's so healthy. It's so filling. And then you can make like a topping with like dill and yogurt and it's really nourishing and filling. So take some veggies, moral of the story, take some veggies, put them in the oven and call it a day. Yeah. Is that boring? Should I should I like be more adventurous? You no, think? No. First of all, the sweet potatoes are a great idea. I actually Thank was you. just looking at. I, I'm always like trying to figure out what to feed Maggie. I'm like, oh my goodness, what should I feed her today? And there's like oh. a million recipes with sweet potatoes. Are you kidding me? They're like great, and you know you can like puree them. You can mash them up. They're great yes. for introducing to babies. They're like, oh my gosh, yeah. My food. son is loving. My son's loving them. So. 
So I, that's a really good question. I think once he's a little older, have me back and I'll answer and I'll have like me, a way better answer because he'll be having full meals and, and good food. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or he won't and he'll be super picky. You never know. <gasps> and then I'll need your input and then I'll be listening oh, and going, oh my input. gosh. <laughs> I would answer that question. Oh my gosh, but I, I you have to think about it because I'm I'm curious how you would answer that. What would okay, it be? You know what? It would be so I found this random recipe a long time ago. It was like a, a ranch skillet. And so I'll kind of explain what's in it. I've kind of adjusted it slightly over the years. So basically it's like two bags of whatever rice you like, like easy, like the 90 second microwavable rice, or you don't want to do the microwave, you just throw it into a pan and just kind of like heat it up. And then you get a rotisserie chicken at the store. You're going to dice it up. Mm-hmm. If you don't eat meat, just omit that. And then you can do some broccoli and some Brussels sprouts and cut Ooh. them up small, put some olive oil on there, some salt and pepper, put it into the oven, roast that. And then in your bigger pan, you put in your your rice and then the cut up chicken. And sometimes I'll do bacon. Oh my god. Break gosh. that up with like break it up really super small. And then once the veggies are done, add that all into the pan. So it's like one big pan of yes. deliciousness. And then there is like a quote unquote like a ranch seasoning that you can make with just all of your seasonings at home. So like it's oh my like gosh. weed and garlic powder, onion powder, that sort of thing. And wow. then you sprinkle that all over the top. And then my kids Literally every time I've ever given this, they eat it up in two seconds and they just drizzle ranch dressing over the top. Oh my gosh. Oh, they love it. It's like the best thing ever. And you can really adjust it. Like, however, you know, if you don't like Brussels sprouts, you can do something else, you know, a different. Oh, this sounds amazing. I feel like you need to share this with us as well. Like, do you have this written down? That needs to be in the show notes. Oh my gosh. I do. It's it's on my blog. I I think I put it up like two years ago or so. This is this is so great. I love that we're talking about that we've like swung the pendulum. We're talking about like really intensive emotional issues and like and then we're also like, oh my gosh, the dill weed in the ranch is yeah. a game changer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is. It's like one of those things that's just it really yeah. I mean for adults and kids, it's just something that like everybody will like. And even if you have a kid like my son just will not eat a veggie. I mean, good really gracious. I mean, eventually maybe, who knows, but we are not in a good position right now. But I always offer them and he just takes his little fingers. He takes those little veggies. Oh my goodness. Puts them on the side. Mommy, no. And I'm like, okay, not today, but maybe a different day. We'll see. Oh, you're so patient. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) He's very sweet about it. At least, you know, it's not like he's throwing them across the table, but yeah, he's just, so, you know, I mean, you know, your kid will just take out what they don't want, you know? And he'll he'll just delicately put it to the side and say, no, thank you, mom. No, no thanks. thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. Oh, well, thank you for it. I, I turned the question back on you. I'm so sorry. I, no, I just wanted to hear your answer. Totally fine. I mean, now you, now you know. <laughs> now I know. And now I'm hungry. That sounds really good. I know. I am too. It's 945. I like definitely can't eat right. I got to go straight to bed. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably getting ready for dinner over there. I, yeah, we're going to have it in a little bit, but my husband has my son. So I'm, I've been all yours and this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on here and taking the time. I know we've been chatting up here. I think this is my longest podcast to date an hour. And a half. <gasps> I'm honored. I th- is that a good sign that we've yeah. just gone on and on? Yeah. This is such an important topic that I feel like we could literally spend, we could spend an, you know hours on mm-hmm. just one of those topics on just postpartum anxiety or just oh, postpartum I know. depression. But I feel like this is a, this was a really great overview that you 
provided that gives people the resources they need for that like next step, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that they feel empowered, that they have some understanding, they know what to look for, right? Because there's a lot of confusion involved. And they also know that if you have to take these next steps, you have an idea of what it might look like. So there's, there's not, maybe not as much fear involved because, you know, mental health is so important. And because of the stigma, we often don't reach out. And I just, I want moms to know that, that their, you know, their experience is valid and real. And if they are noticing things that are getting in the way of their functioning and their joy and their ability to be present in their lives, gosh, there, there absolutely are resources available. That's like, that's just the, the message that I really want mamas to hear. Yes. Yes. And as we briefly touched on, we are not given enough resources as well. Oh my gosh. So I think, you know, really, I mean, when, when you left the hospital, did you get anything that was like, Hey, if you experience this, maybe like, here's a bunch of resources for you. I never have. I think it, you know, if I did, it was in the pile of papers with like insurance, you know, the whole deal. Like, so no, nobody took me aside and was like, here's this, this, this. I mean, overall, my experience was excellent and my care was, was great. I gave birth over at Kaiser Oakland here and it was wonderful. And yet I still feel like mothers need more support. And, and what's the, there's like the one, one meeting, like, Eight weeks later, I, I oh, think. Or- yeah. That one six week follow up. I, I do know that ACOG was looking at the American College of you know OB and, and Gynecology. They were looking at adding, I think it was maybe a three week and then a six week or something. But oh, yes. I don't think it's, I mean, I, I mean, I just gave birth in July and that wasn't the case. Um, it was still six weeks. And, you know, I think not only, you know, mental health wise, but physically, I mean, a lot of people Mm -hmm. are experiencing these really crazy things and they have to wait six weeks. I mean, I guess you could probably call and I just feel like having that appointment scheduled in and an insurance covering it and saying, listen, you know, you will be covered for these. Anyways, we could go on and on, but I I do feel like this is really, really helpful for so many people. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to just. Oh my gosh, of course. I, I thank you so much. I love the, I love these topics. I love supporting women and I, I just love what you're doing with this podcast. That's why as soon as I heard about it, I was like, Lindsay, this is, I want to be a part of what you're doing. So I'm so grateful that you let me be on here. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Catherine, we will see you later. Sounds good. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.